Though it may not always feel like it, there is hope in your hardship and there is a God who is both with you and for you. Now, those are truths that Michelle Cachat leaned on as she faced numerous hardships. Our guest this morning is the author of A Faith That Will Not Fail, 10 Practices to Build Up Your Faith When Your World is Falling Apart. Michelle, welcome to the Morning Conversation. I'm so glad to be here. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, excited to talk about your latest book, A Faith That Will Not Fail, 10 Practices to Build your faith when your world is falling apart. Before we get into the specifics of the book, we'd love to hear again your story of faith. You came to know Jesus at some point. We'd love to hear that story. My parents became Christians when I was about six months old. Mm -hmm. And so although my parents were brand new to faith, I've never known life without Jesus in it. Like Mm -hmm. all of my memories center around faith in the church. However, you asked how I came to know him. And I would say that process of knowing has been developing, (laughs) right? I was seven years old when I walked down the aisle at our home church in central Illinois and told the whole you know congregation that I wanted Jesus to be Lord of my life. Mm-hmm. What's interesting in hindsight, as I look back on that, at that point in time, I really still thought faith was uh, more of a math equation. If you do all the things that God <laughs> wants you to do and avoid all the things that God doesn't want you to do, then God's going to give you a good life. So it was very transactional. Uh, and that was fine with me uh, as far as the fact that I I could work really hard at being a good girl. Right. I was I can a, do this thing. <laughs> yeah, I can do this thing. I can be really good. I can avoid the bad things and do the good things. And so that's what I did, you know, throughout my childhood and teenage years and everything else. Now, I wasn't perfect by any means, but I was a good kid, went to youth group. I went to a Christian college. Mm. I married a Christian pastor, started ministry in my 20s. And it looked like this equation was really working, right? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, the bottom fell out. It really started when I watched my pastor husband drive away for the last time. Mm-hmm. And it was six days before Christmas. I had a one-and-a-half-year-old on my hip, and my husband was making choices that I had no control over. And at that point in time, I became a single divorced mom mm-hmm. who was supposed to be in ministry and now had this scarlet D. And I thought, wait a second, this is not what was supposed to happen. And so that was the beginning of me, I would say, knowing Jesus through suffering, not through abundance. Mm -hmm. And you learn an entire different, I say, facets of God when you're going through hard things and you discover of Him when everything's fine. And that has been an ugly, messy, wonderful horrible journey over the last 30 years as I went through uh, suffering after suffering. And we can talk about more of that. That was the beginning. And then more things happened over time. Michelle, I'd love the, the My Bridge Radio family just to kind of get a taste of kind of the, the backdrop of your life of this book. Yes, absolutely. So after that point in time, uh, the high version view is I slowly started to put myself back together as a single mom. I you know couldn't explain why this happened, but I wanted so desperately to believe in God. And so I continued need to move forward. I ended up getting remarried. Then we had the challenge of blended family. By the way, it looks nothing like it does on TV. (laughs) It's far more complicated. And that was a challenge about the time we thought we got over the hump of that. I was diagnosed with uh, squamous cell carcinoma of the tongue, cancer of the tongue. Now, I was 39 years old, very healthy, done all the right things again. And all of a sudden, I end up with a cancer that typically I thought was something that 75-year-old men who are smokers get, right? Mm-hmm. And here, I'm, I'm not any of those things. And 
dealt with cancer one time. Eight months later, we ended up foster adopting three kids from a relative who had nowhere to go. So we ended up taking in three preschoolers with a history of severe abuse neglect. That added another measure of suffering and difficulty bringing into our homes. After that, I was diagnosed with cancer a second time and then a third time. And in the middle of all that, my dad died of terminal pancreatic cancer. And he was diagnosed at 69 and died in the span of 13 months. And so literally for 30 years, it's been thing after thing after thing. In the middle of all that, I I don't even spend much time talking about the daily challenges like church conflict and um, family members with mental illness and all the other challenges of, you know, raising six kids and teenagers and all of that. Here's my question. How are you not rolled up in a ball in a corner right Uh, now? I'm like, I'm serious. Like, well, sometimes I am. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of my stories. There have been times where I definitely have been curled up in a corner in a ball and literally despairing of life. You know, we think that if we're Christians, that we uh, somehow are not to be impacted by the reality of Mm. life's difficulty. But the truth is, is life is hard and suffering by nature is suffering. And that means sometimes it is too much for us. I think of the story of Elijah when he is serving God and doing good things for God and Ahab and Jezebel put a price on his head and he flees for his life and he collapses on the ground and says, I wish I would have never been born. I don't want to do this anymore. And he was a godly, godly man. And God sends an angel to attend him and simply says, the journey is too much for you. And I think that's so important for us to acknowledge that at sometimes the journey is too much for us. So, Michelle, a faith that will not fail. In your book, you lay out kind of bite-sized pieces, like 10 different practices. So how did you come up with these 10? Like, why these 10? Well, uh, I needed to talk about the things that actually worked for me. So there was really Mm. two criteria when I chose these 10 practices. First of all, I grew up in the church. So I know all the lingo. You know, I know you just need to pray more and read your Bible more and do all that. And I'm a big believer in prayer and Bible study. So I'm not saying that. But when you are hanging on by a thread, you don't always have the strength to do a four hour exegesis of <laughs> lamentations. Right. And so I was like, what what was actually helpful to me in my moments of suffering? And then two, what has biblical precedent? So it had to have um, support in scripture, and then it needed to be something that I actually used. And so these 10 practices, you know, I call them practices, and we have a tendency to think of that as being homework. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to think of it in terms of homework. It's less about doing, because I'm kind of saying we can't achieve our well, we can't achieve our way through suffering. We can't. We can't just achieve our way through it. So these practices aren't so much about doing, but about being, about resting in the work that God has already done. That's the key. God is the hefty, heavy lifter, not up to us to somehow achieve our way through suffering. It's up to us to be fully, wholly dependent on Him and let his, let Him carry us through. So, Michelle, 10 practices, lament, worship, humility, relinquishment, contentment, shalom, forgiveness, perspective, connection, and waiting. Which one do you think would surprise people to make the list? Hands down, the number one people talk about is lament. The irony is is lament is mentioned throughout the entire Bible. But in our modern Christian Big C Church, we've lost honest lament in the presence of God. So tease that out a little bit. What does that what does that mean? How does that work? Well, I think at times we feel uh, an unnecessary pressure to just put a smile on our face and pretend like everything is fine. The reality is, is if everything was fine, God would not have needed hmm. to send His one and only Son to die for us. Right. 
So lament is literally being able to come to God, take our pain, our suffering, our grief to the only one that has the authority and the credibility and the power to do anything about our pain. We see this example, this practice of lament in Psalms all over the place. What it looked like for me is refusing to pretend that everything's fine, also refusing to just complain to everybody else how it's so unfair, instead to take all this angst and grief that I feel to the presence of my father and daring to tell him the truth about it. He already knows. Hmm. There is a powerful work of healing that can only happen when we decide to be honest and tell the truth about our pain. Already what you're saying is life-giving to me, like of going, no, like I can take that pain to Jesus and really lay it at his feet and be honest and be raw, right? So that's life-giving. But what's on the other side of that? What I discovered through my journey of lament and telling God the truth about my anger, my frustration, my disappointment, my despair, all of that, telling the truth about him, is I didn't need an answer as much as I needed his presence. What I needed more than the ability to understand was the confidence of knowing that God would never leave me or forsake me in this place. What I ended up discovering is a sweet communion and compassion in Jesus on the cross. Not just Jesus in the empty tomb, Jesus on the other side of death, but Jesus in the middle of the suffering. I found that I had a God who didn't just look at my pain and feel a measure of compassion, but he actually experienced Mm -hmm. my suffering and my pain. And he did it. He willingly entered into it because of his love and affection for me. He couldn't bear the thought of us being separated. That's what I discovered on the other side of the confession of, you know, my little Matt, my grace. If I heard you share kind of where these 10 practices came out of your reality and what you walked through, through 30 years plus of pain and trauma, what I'm feeling from you today and, and I think from your writing, which is this isn't about just merely a practice, like this is like reality of in its purest form as you're walking through suffering the lament, the worship, the humility. I mean, is that right? Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And that's a piece of it. Like if we just come to somebody who is, you know, let's say they've lost their child and say, oh, you just need to hang on to God more than your child. That's not helpful in the moment of suffering. But as we walk through suffering, what we end up discovering that all these earthly things that we hold on to, one way or the other, we lose them in time, right? So sooner or later, everything in our life we can lose except for God himself. Right. You and I eventually die. We get older. Our jobs change. Our appearance changes. Our relationships change. All of that. And at some point in time, this, all of these practices shifts our perspective to see things on an eternal timetable, not a temporal one. And then all of a sudden we realize that everything else is so fleeting except for the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, God himself. It's kind of like Jesus says in John seventeen three: this is eternal life that you would know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That's life. But sometimes it takes relinquishing everything else, letting go of everything else, losing everything else to realize that the real source of unshakable life, of a faith that will not fail is God himself, his presence. You know, Michelle, as I think about the practices, I think about the wisdom of people before they go through trauma, before they're going through that hard place, getting familiar with these concepts and preparing themselves for when, not if, okay, when they go through it. So can see how that could totally work and be, yeah, very preparatory. But what about someone who's going through it right now? I mean, they're, they've hit it. They're, 
life is sucked out of them. They're close to being in the ball in the corner, like we talked about earlier. So speak to that person and tell us how this book will be life-giving in that situation. Well, that's where I was. Like I didn't have, I didn't have the strength to pick up an in-depth Bible study and spend an hour or two every day. And so I'm all about good theology, but this book is about making good, solid theology accessible in tiny bites. So the 10 practices are divided into five days per practice. And at the end of each chapter, I have a five-minute faith builder. So there's 55-minute faith builders, which is literally five minutes to just be present. You know, sometimes I give you a psalm to pray. You simply have to read the words that are there. It's like uh, just a baby step. It's not like heavy lifting. We're not talking about pages and pages of homework. We're talking about five minutes just to allow God to come near to you and speak to you in the place of your pain. In some ways, it's actually geared towards the person who's going through trauma right now. Right now. I mean, you can use the, I think of it as a resource, an ongoing resource, kind of like a medical manual on the shelf that you can pull off and use as you need it. That's what I wanted to think of it as. And so, yeah, it can be before a crisis, during a crisis, after a crisis. I use this metaphor of a faith that will not fail. And when I open the book, I talk about my husband and I have remodeled several houses. And when we buy a house, no matter how terrible it looks cosmetically, what we look for is a good foundation because the reality is it's the foundations that were established one brick at a time, one inch at a time that lasts no matter the storms that come. And this is what we're doing with our faith. We're going to build it one brick at a time. We're going to make a solid foundation. So whether the storm is coming currently happening or going, <laughs> we have a cement base that holds us firm no matter what will happen. Michelle, would you be able to walk us through this morning a little bit through one of the practices? Uh, here is one of the uh, five-minute faith builders, and I literally just opened the book to this page. So <laughs> here we go. This is the five-minute faith builder under the practice of relinquishment. Mm. And the title of this chapter is called Absolute Surrender. It quotes at the beginning, Luke 9, 23 through 25. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Surrender often requires more effort than sword fighting, especially for those of us who have made our life's work to stay in absolute control. Surrender feels risky, dangerous, unmooring. What if it doesn't work out? What if letting go is the first step toward our downfall? Or what if the opposite is true? Consider what is holding you back from absolute surrender. How is that working for you? And what would it take for you to finally relinquish control? I can chew on that for a few months. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? And these are tiny. It's just something to consider. And what I have found, like when I was through suffering, I was holding so tightly to different parts of, like I was holding so tightly to an outcome that I was captive to fear and worry and anxiety all the time. And so this process of slowly, what if letting go and trusting that God has me would actually bring the peace that I crave. You know, I just had a conversation with a brother in Christ uh, this morning, and I said, you know, whenever we try to manage and manipulate outcomes, we're trying to play God. And I talk about this a lot in this book because I've had to wrestle with this myself. 
I was more in love with certain potential outcomes than I was with Jesus. And through this process of suffering, this is hard, right? Because we love our kids, we love our marriages, we love our families, we love our jobs, whatever it is, right? But like this verse in Luke says, you know, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For what would it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his very self? And our very self is the Imago Dei, the image of God in us. He is our lifeline. And so at some point, this whole journey of faith is learning to hold everything else more loosely and learning to hold on to him more tightly. Michelle, what would be your hope for this book? You've invested yourself in uh, this significantly. How are you hoping that Jesus uses this book? Well, I have, I feel a burning passion, and this is not the calling I asked for. Trust me, I would have chosen a better story to tell than this one. <laughs> but I feel that Jesus has called me to stand in places of suffering and to uh, help those who are suffering to know that they're not alone, right? And it's not just my presence that's with them, but that God himself is with them. So my hope is that this would be a resource for people who are just barely hanging on, that like Elijah, like God sent an angel to minister to Elijah with food and water and rest, that this book would be a source of food and water and rest exactly when they're at they're most weary and exhausted with the biggest questions. And then the second hope would be that even if you're not in that place, that you would use this resource for someone you know who is in that place. And hopefully that you would be the conduit to let them know that God hasn't left them. He hasn't abandoned them. His love for them could not be stronger. And they're definitely not alone. Let me just say this, Michelle. Thank you. Thank you for living out what Jesus talked about or what God talked about in, was it Second Corinthians? The compassion, the, the, the grace that we received in our hurt, you sharing that back out and being the, the comfort that you received by God, by His grace in your working, walking through, to be willing to invest yourself to share that in a very effective and, and broad way with all of us. So I just want to say thank you for that and ask if you'd be willing just to pray over the MyBridge Radio family. My privilege. Uh, Father God, what a, a tremendous, unfathomable gift that you've given to us by simply giving us yourself, your love, your grace, your presence, your affection, your redemption. Uh, thank you that we can come to you with all the hard and ugly and complicated um, feelings and circumstances and questions that we have, that you are not put off by our honesty because you actually see us coming to you as children, and we long to connect with you. Thank you for that freedom. God, I pray for the listeners today, whoever is tuning in, even if it's just for a moment, God, that you would so communicate to them, help them to realize at a deeper level more than ever before, the truth of Romans 8, that nothing can separate them from your love. Nothing, neither height nor depth. Neither past nor present nor future, nothing, no power in all creation can separate them from your love, God. Help that truth to sink in deep and to become kind of the anchor for them as they wrestle through some of their questions about why things happen in this life and why you behave one way and don't behave another way and all of that. God, I pray that they would know to their bones, God, that they are not alone, that you are with them, that you meant it when you said, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. And that somehow you would give them a glimpse of this overall beautiful gospel story you're working out through even our most horrific hardships. And that someday, someday down the road, God, you will make all things new and all of our pain will be redeemed. All of it will have clarity and purpose, and we will be able to see what you see, God, and that all of our tears will be dried up and our hearts will be my whole in Jesus' name. 
I pray for these listeners, God, that they would know you in the middle of their hard thing and that you would give them more and more and more of yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.